State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this special edition episode, we speak with Stefan Pear, Chief Revenue Officer at Pool, reflecting on the athletics acquisition by the New York Times and audience conversion strategies. Pool provides registration and subscription solutions to turn your audience into leads, members, and subscribers. Let's begin. Hi, Stefan. How are you? Hey, good uh, evening. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I'm great, thank you. Well, different time of the world. Um, no, thanks for joining us. Today we're going to do a special podcast episode with you guys being very much experts in conversion strategies for paywalls. Um, there's been that recent event with The Athletic and I thought given that it's the beginning of the year, we can talk about thoughts around that and why that's come to that point and other things around that topic and what you guys are experts at. But before we go into that, Stefan, maybe I'll just let you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Stefan, as you can see, and I sound pretty French, right? So I'm based in France. Uh, I work at Pool. Pool is a French startup in a marketing tech environment. Yeah. And uh, Pool is a audience conversion platform. So mostly we help publishers, media content providers to convert their audience from free to paid subscription, but also from anonymous to identify through registration and other type of soft conversion. My background is in media. I've been in uh, close to 20 years in media, working for uh, television in France, uh, Canal Plus, uh, Bloomberg Television, also in Europe. Uh, I've been working in Yahoo in the good old days when it was growing fast. I've been also working for The Economist for 12 years uh, in different function. And yeah, I've been exposed to different parts of the media. Advertising-wise, I was driving sales. Technology-wise, I've been acting as chief data officer. Now, um, yes, I distribute my efforts because we are a company uh, helping different media companies. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you about you know, what's going on, which happens finally on the 6th of January, which was a very important date for America with what happened last year, but that was also important for media. Let's jump straight into it. So I guess we heard the news a few days ago of this recording, which is the 13th, that Athletic is selling to New York Times for $550 million, I guess. I mean, from my point of view, in terms of observing the, the landscape, they were sort of already starting from the beginning of being an investor-backed company that was pretty much there to sell. What was the background about that for those people who haven't been following that? And, and why do you think now is a good time for them to sell? Yeah, I guess it's good to start for about where the athletic comes from and therefore why the deal happens now and why it might make sense or not, <laughs> right? It's all a bet. Uh, I guess... As you guys know, uh, The Athletic was founded in 2016, and the bet, it was to uh, really um, provide a smaller coverage for die-art fans in sports. Yeah. Uh, and the bet made by the founders was to say, there is a need, one, to invest into strong journalists who happen to have a community around them, uh, influencers in their field, journalists that are credible to provide deep coverage, uh, not just facts about uh, sports news, investigation, bring the community and therefore their eyeballs to the publication and therefore command a business model around subscription. So the yeah. bet was we hire great journalists with the community, then we bring eyeballs and we will monetize uh, through subscription. That was the bet from the, from the founders. Yeah. And that's been a, a pretty good bet as far as getting uh, people to subscribe. They have tremendous subscription base uh, going for the athletic. The challenge is uh, it's an expensive business to run. You know, having great talent, journalists, uh, you know, they've been spread in the US, uh, they went to the UK, 
they got regional teams working for them. They got local teams. You know, they got like, I think I checked 450 people around 270 locations. Yeah. That's an expensive business to run. So they were early making the bed in subscription, not to rely on advertising. That's good. They made a great bet on ambassadors in journalism, but it's a hard business uh, to run, which means they've been losing cash in the last uh, three years. I, I checked and they lost like 54 million three years ago, 41 last two years ago, and 55 in, in 2021. And the thing is, that's why it comes to the right time for this deal is because, you know, that the last two years have been terrible for sports uh, with the COVID situation. Every event was put on hold. So it's maybe not just a business model which made them lose money. It's just the timing. The timing has been very hard in the last two years, and they had to go through a layoff. So you've got an interesting business model, which been you know put a threat with the overall environment of the COVID. Yeah. That situation of the athletic, and on the other side, you got the New York Times, who's profitable, growing subscription, and can afford to make a new deal. That's how I guess the two cross uh, together. I've seen from my end as well, it's been interesting so far that I think particularly in the past six months that a lot of broadcasting companies or streaming companies have really invested into sports as well. Streaming companies like HBO or even like, um, even in Australia, I know like local TV companies would buy rights for particular stories on sports and stuff. Like, why do you think that didn't translate into journalism? That's an interesting point because sport is broad. What we have in mind with sport is live. That's the first yeah. thing. Right? Second is results. That's the second coverage about yeah. sport. And the third is what's behind the scenes, what's going on. And uh, most of the focus so far has been more about, uh, if I may say, entertainment side of sport, more gossips and things. And now the athletic has been able to prove there is a fourth leg into sports coverage, which is a bit, a, a bit deeper into what's going on about the industry and uh, the forces in play. So that's nice if found a, a more newsworthy angle on sports, because I guess most, most of people made the bet that sport was more a, an experience. But if you refocus the diet farms, it goes through the experience, but they want to know more. They want to know everything about what's going on. Uh, that's why I think the Athletic has been pretty, uh, pretty neat in their choice. And they really built a very uh, singular brand with a singular coverage. Back to the point that I was saying, like a lot of those broadcasting and media, traditional media companies are investing in support right now. Do, do you think that they, maybe Athletic could have not rode out that wave? Or do you feel like that, that those losses were too silly for them to, to ride it out? Yeah, because you could have thought the other way. Yeah, you're right. You see, because, oh, the Athletic could have built on what they're doing to do more sports coverage and maybe look at broadcast and events and do... Uh, live analysis and this kind of stuff. But that's, you know, I think to succeed, you need a very clear value proposition and a clear positioning. That's how the athletic has been able to command uh, pretty decent growth and great eyeballs. If they want to start to become a broadcaster or an aggregator or go to another model, they start to compete with so many others. Yeah. I think really why, why is the athletic being strong is being niche in their positioning. Yeah. That, that's why I think it's good they didn't go to the other side. And they didn't have the capital to do that. I mean, we're already losing money. They raised $140 million already. And uh, if they wanted to go in a broader coverage or a broader positioning around sport, like to be the sport destination, whatever you're looking for, that would have been way another project. And that's where they would have to go on, oh, not just subscription, advertising, events, sponsorship. And they would have gone to the traditional uh, media tactics, which are not always successful.
It's interesting as well, as we're speaking as well now, I'm, I'm just going through the bit of the backstory of more financially why the athletics sold. And it says from Axios, the article that apparently in 2020, they got seriously round funding and that sort of helped them break even in terms of the investment from the cash burn that, that was happening. And that probably that was was a trigger towards also selling as well. I guess my my question to that as well is like with the year that we're seeing from this year and last year with a lot of consolidation happening, do you feel like the thing with SPACs and how people are trying to achieve break-even to make the emergent acquisitions happen, is that something that will continue with other sports media or do you feel, feel like that's going to be more niche acquisition? How do you feel like that's going to play out? It's a very broad question and hard to answer. I, I guess, yeah. I guess, uh, I guess, uh, what is good is that people try to look for break-even, making money, and I think that's a good trend because there's been a bit of a sort of a trend in media and other industries to go bigger, bigger, but not really focus about about profitability. Yeah. And why does it matter? It's not. It's not because it's about making money. It's about thinking hard about the business model and how to make money, which is asking yourself the hard question: Do I really have an audience? Uh, how can I compete? What should be my right pricing? Uh, what should be my operations like to support this business? And uh, and I think that's what is good. But right, the fact there is SPACs coming on, uh, putting massive investment. A lot of people want to be eligible for investment, and therefore they think a bit differently, I guess, about their business, and less look at growth per se, but more sustainable growth. It's a good trend, right? It's really important because we've seen in the media industry that you know. The race for eyeballs have not been paying off uh, if you just rely on advertising. Because in the good old days, you know, more eyeballs means more page views, means more inventory, means more revenue. Yeah. But the reality, everyone became a publisher. You became a publisher. Uh, they, you know, everyone became a publisher, which means um, all publishers from all sides have been competing uh, for crumbles. Uh, and you get some leading platforms like uh, the GAFA going on. So the uh, Traditional uh, scale is the way to make money, as far as volume is not working at all. That's why the model is more, I believe, towards the niche or the bundle, because that's what is interesting. If you look at New York Times, why would New York Times do that? Yeah. Happy to throw some hypothesis here, but uh, yeah. Looking for profitability is an important thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen like the bundle is an interesting thing to touch on as well, because you know, they've done many acquisitions in the past, like the Wirecutter, which is particularly focused on e-commerce. Now they've done uh, The Athletic. I mean, to help larger publishers like the New York Times, how can bigger publishers as well do that, but also uh, make sure that the audience that they're absorbing is not cannibalizing with other content that they might be consuming elsewhere? Yeah, so if you look at the New York Times, what's interesting is you have a successful subscription strategy and the, the, the strategy is twofold. Uh, one is they have their leading brand with news coverage. I guess they've got about uh, 5.6 million subscribers to the news offer. But then they've got verticals, you know, uh, 1.9 million subscribers to um, cooking uh, crosswords. Yeah. Um, and only a few are doing print, purely print also, like 800,000. So they've shown that having news with another vertical is interesting, which means some folks just buy crosswords, just buy cooking, some just news, and maybe some do both. So probably New York Times is looking at adding another vertical, uh, vertical being sport. 
which is interesting because upsell is on both sides, right? Some people think that because uh, New York Times is struggling to grow faster. I mean, they, were, they did such a great job that it's going to be harder and harder to grow. And that's why having features or product or services to upsell to their base is maybe easier than just to create new eyeballs to sell subscription. Because some folks said, oh, New York Times buy the Athletic so that they can upsell to the Athletic uh, subscribers, the New York Times. Wow, might be hard. Might be hard uh, also knowing that, you know, consumers, they cannot get so many subscriptions at the same time. You know, more than one broad new subscription is hard to get. Uh, and also because consumers are making arbitrage with entertainment uh, subscription broadly, like Disney Plus, uh, Spotify, and stuff. So maybe, maybe the strategy of New York Times here is really about upsetting this vertical to their current the new subscribers so that they get uh, an average revenue per user higher. That could be one angle. The second one, of course, is maybe just the perception of, this, of the New York Times in America. It's a bit perceived as elite and national, uh, having a way stronger local coverage, uh, closer to people's passion. Yeah. I'm also changed a bit the perception of the New York Times. That's the second interest from the New York Times. The third is maybe it's going to help the New York Times sell more uh, subscription abroad, you know, with the Anglo-Saxon diehard fans of sports in UK, Canada, and maybe Australia and other places. Uh, there could be some interest there. When New York Times got money, uh, what could be worrying folks is in the past, they've not been so successful sometime in doing uh, integration. Yeah. Uh, they've been a failure of Boston Globe, but it's a new leadership in place. It's a new time, uh, but on paper, that's an interesting upsell opportunity, I think, for the base more than an acquisition, but that's my personal bet here. I think that that's another point that I was trying to touch up as well. Like, there's always that concern when you're merging another brand within, within a bigger company and vice versa that the vertical, that it would not succeed as well and, and people might just die off because it's not the same essence of the brand. First of all, how do you think New York Times will be able to absorb that brand, do you think, uh, just out of your own thoughts at the moment, because obviously things aren't clear yet, do you think they'll keep it separately or do you think they'll integrate it as a sports vertical within the website? And again, it's only a perception and it's a perception yeah, of course. You, uh, and it's I'm not working at the Times, I'm not working at the Athletics, so I'm just commenting like people comment sport in a bar, maybe. Typically, they will start like, oh, it's a standalone business because of the leadership and stuff. But I think it's really both want to reap the benefit of this uh, of this deal, they're yeah. going to have to think differently and not really as two standalone businesses because I believe the value really comes from the ideas of upselling, uh, sharing client list. I'm sure they're going to start like two standalone businesses, but for how long? Depends on the deal, right? Uh, and the deal and how long they've asked for the founders to keep running and maybe they have some special target or profitability to reach in two years. Yeah. So the founders might ask to still be in command and be separate. But down the path, if they really want to it to be successful, they're going to have to merge and not too late. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. 
it took New York Times about four or five years for the wire cutter. Now the wire cutter is not really has its own brand identity anymore. Before it used to be very vertical, but have its brand identity. But now it seems like they're more integrating that into their uh, shopping and review section. From what I noticed, did you see something like that as well? What What are your thoughts? What's interesting is it's. Let's talk about brand. Yeah. I mean, I think people buy New York Times for New York Times. Yeah. I don't think so much people buy the athletic for the athletic. Uh, what's interesting is consumers buy their favorite uh, sports commentators and journalists. They're buying the name of the writer. So, of course, at New York Times, you got some very iconic writers, of course. But still, there is an idea of New York Times standing for a brand that has a process about going for news. And that's been for a long, long time. The athletic is different, again, based on the bet at the beginning to make come some amazing journalist uh, with strong brand. So I guess it's maybe less about merging the athletic and making it disappear, but bringing the sports contributors, the big names, maybe alongside the New York Times journalism. That could be one way. Because if they don't do that, what, what could be a risk uh, for the athletic is that these contributors, these strong commentators, go and build their own media. Yeah, with Substack and everything that's going on. Yeah, exactly. That's a big trend at the moment, and I'm sure everyone is tempted. Uh, so that's that's going to be interesting. I see it's more it's more about the names with an S than the name. Interesting. No, that that makes sense. Um, I guess some brands have more distinct. I mean, and that that's probably going to dictate as well how how long it's going to take for them to eventually merge. I agree with you as well, Stefan, that at some point of time, whether it might be in one year or it might be five years or six years, that eventually the athletic, the name itself might no longer exist because of how they've done that with the wire cutter. But um, I guess it might be quicker based on, I think what you said it makes sense. So it might be quicker for them versus the growth cutter. So when startups like uh, the athletic were in that position where they were starting at loss making, like, in terms of getting to the point they're at now to make a break even with the round of investments and stuff like that, when do you think is the best time for publishers to introduce a new monetization channel or method to be able to do that? When do you think they need to introduce multiple revenue streams? That's a good one. So twofold. The first one is about the athletic. I think what they did great is be focused on, on, on the subscription. And again, back to the question of profitability, choosing subscription what the hard path to make money. Yeah. Uh, and that means they need to be, again, have a strong value proposition, uh, make people want uh, to subscribe. So that's good. So now you're saying what the athletic else could have been doing, introducing advertising? Could it be uh, paid intelligence for professionals about sport? Mm-hmm. There could be so many avenues they could have gone, right? But, but they needed to nail the value proposition around subscription before going somewhere else. So I think they were right not to you know, going advertising right away and because advertising would have pushed them yeah. towards uh, being big per se. And, uh, and, and we know advertising is a hard business to be, to, be, to be in. Now, the question is for the other guys, those that depend on advertising solely, I would urge them <laughs> to think about uh, where their brand can bring them and think about more sustainable revenues. You know that if you're doing just advertising, it is a very hard to business in. We've seen like two years ago 
when the first the start of the COVID, audiences been booming, multiplied by three for some digital players in France, for example, but their revenue went down by three. Wow. So back to the start of our conversation, the famous equation is more eyeball equals more money. Not true. Not true because at that time there was not so much demand from the advertisers. So diversifying revenues is very important to consider for medias. If you have just adver advertising as being the only leg you depend on, uh, I would urge you to really think about what else you could do. Uh, what else you could do, and, you know, subscription is one way, but publishers should not jump right away and, oh, I do advertising, now I need to do subscription right away. The first step before going there is to get a vibrant audience. When I say vibrant audience, it's not a rich play, but the frequency play. You know, you need to be able to demonstrate that you can form habits, that you can have people come back more often. If you got people come back more often, you got stickiness, and therefore you can start to introduce other things. So we had the example of some people coming to us and say, hey, like Elle magazine in France, uh, you know, lifestyle magazine, and they had subscription, but just in print. But for digital, it was just making money with advertising. And as they had a good brand, they wanted to go on digital subscription. What we've been discussing and said the first step before going there is to get your audience metrics uh, better and work on frequency. And that's why they work first on uh, driving soft conversion, you know, account creation, subscription to newsletter, to get a better a repeat audience. And what's good, once you build that portfolio, you can do so many things. First, you can introduce subscription. And we know that folks that are members convert tens to 50 times more likely than just a straightforward eyeball. So that's good for subscription. But that's also good for many other aspects of the business. Uh, if you got people to create account, and if you have opt-in, you can leverage these folks for other marketing tactics. You can sell them products. You can sell them services, so tickets to, you know, to uh, events. Uh, so you got leads for yourself as a publisher, but you also got leads, if you got the right permission, for your partners, your other clients, not the consumers, which you can monetize. And the last benefit of having a registration strategy is also to support the advertising business. Because if you have registered users, they come more often, they do more page views, they do more inventory, one. And the second point is you've got identity, which means you've got eyeballs that you know about, you've got first-party data, and therefore you are less dependent on cookies and third-party retargeting, which means you've got an email, a physical address, a device ID, an account ID, and this can help you do some other type of retargeting to monetize the audience. So I guess the main lesson that you're saying is like when you're focusing on one path to monetize, you should always have a corresponding associated registration strategy so that way you can use it as a way to uh, arbitrage or find ways to like sell, you know, get more leads or, you know, potentially find new ways of growing your user base and then eventually monetize another way. Is it, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, what's interesting is the uh, a registration uh, strategy benefits any monetization strategy, advertising, subscription, and diversification. Yeah. And also, that's make you as a publisher think about why should people register? 
don't just ask, you have to register to read. Think about the value associated to registration. Yeah. Is it access to specific content? Is it access to some perks? Is it access to uh, some uh, services? I don't know, like a dark mode, saving article, some stats that you don't have? And again, here you're saying about, oh, I need to think about why people would like to register. I need to think about the value proposition. I need to think about making it clear. And once you do that, uh, that's, that's pretty efficient. Do you feel like with the appetite for investment and mergers happening, do you feel like there's something someone else is going to take trying to aspire to be like athletic or do you feel like, how do you think the competitive landscape in that sports media subscription area is going to look like in, just in your opinion? It would be hard for me to be a bet on this. The only thing is a few have the pocket of New York Times. So who's going to be able to buy it? Uh, that's, that's going to be a hard one. So I'm not sure to be able to identify who's got money at the table at the moment. That's why it might be less acquisition by another media company, but maybe by more uh, investment uh, companies, vehicles. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's hard for me to see the, the future this year on this one. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. I know back in the day, a lot of like TV channels and streaming sites had a lot more content, editorial backing, but they sort of took a step back and just tried to focus more on building up the inventory. Maybe that's something that would come in again. I'm not sure. I mean, one thing maybe which pops to my mind is, uh, you know, why buying a media company? Mm. Uh, it'd be because uh, you're a media and you want to make a better media business at the type of New York Times. A media company could be bought because you want to buy that technology, that know-how, they got something special. Uh, remember about the Affiton Post when it was bought? I mean, when it was bought a while ago, that was mostly because it was so good on tech and SEO and creating content on the fly, you know, almost content farming, right? That was the expression. And uh, somebody searched for something, they made me write about it. So they were uh, very strong. Another reason for media to be bought is someone wanting to become a media. And what we've seen is brands acquiring more and more media companies. Because brands, you know, uh, when I say brands, not media brands, uh, like you, Verizon, for example, with Yahoo. Yeah, wherever you are, uh, wherever you are in retail, in uh, technology, if you sell product or services, you know, in the past, a while ago, you were advertising to talk about your product and services. Fair enough. And then uh, you start to do some sponsoring about, oh, I want to associate my brand with some values. Okay, could be sport, whatever. Then you wanted to show that you could tell story and be aspiring. And it was all about the story, storytelling uh, moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, you start, and, and brands were working with publishers to create these meaningful stories, media first. And then they start to say, oh, I want to get more content. So I'm going to ask publishers to help me create content. And that's, that's became the, the content marketing uh, wave uh, a few years ago. And now we've seen brands willing to be media themselves. And then now they want to have the whole capability and why they're doing that. Uh, yes, of course, is to be able to reach to consumers differently, but they want to have the ability by themselves to create audiences that they can convert 
into a potential marketable pool. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and that's why, you know, there could be some interesting move from brands acquiring media brands so that they come uh, a media. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, so far we've seen like the likes of Verizon haven't done that as successfully because that synergies aren't there. But I guess maybe that's like first wave lessons to learn and and see how other companies can do it better. Maybe who knows? Verizon is a is a strong brand, but product potentially maybe their strategy was more about I want to run an advertising business, and uh, and I'm going to create a, a new network of advertising. Yeah, advertising network which pushes them to, to their products maybe it didn't work as well. There wasn't, yeah, yeah. you're right. Again, ideas are great, execution matters, so, and timing, timing. Sometimes you can have the best idea, the best execution, but the market is not there. So we'll see, and, and we see that also on our end. Uh, you know, our technology when we started uh, our four or five years ago, our core clients were regional newspapers, national newspapers, news magazine, we need to optimize their uh, subscription conversion, right? And over time, we've seen a lifestyle, B2B, other type of players in the media vertical going there. But we start to see brands coming to us and say, hey, how do I convert an audience into a, a community uh, which is engaged and I can market too? Mm-hmm. And we, we start to see uh, this movement a lot. So I'm sure if you got the brand starting to talk to payroll providers, Registration pro providers about how they can help. It means they are serious about building their own audience. Do you have any final advice for our audience on anything that they should look out for with athletic or sort of um, advice on their own strategy that they should look out for this year? A few takeaways maybe from our, our, our conversation is if you are a media owner, uh, think about one, uh, having a clear value proposition yeah. and second, uh, make sure that you form habits. Don't get tricked with the big numbers. Really look at the detail, which is, do my audience come often? And how do I make sure I improve that? Because that's how you got, that's going to be how you maximize the business potential of your audience. Really think about that. And from there, make sure that you don't only think about one avenue for revenue, but think about the other avenues. Advertising, subscription, diversification. And to really be able to tap into it, and to nurture your forming habit strategy, really think about registration. That would be my the few cents uh, uh, I would share. Perfect. Um, and with that, Stefan, I really appreciate some of the insights that you've shared with us with Athletic and just general audience conversion and subscription uh, monetization strategies. Thank you. Cool. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.